Hey, how's it going, Underdog Nation? Welcome to the first installment of 50 Under 50, a podcast in which we'll talk about our favorite movies ranked under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm Charlie Salick of Joker Mag. And I'm Henry Duncan of Joker Mag. We want to prove to you why these underdog movies really encapsulate what it means to be an underdog and why they are underappreciated and understated uh, in our society. Uh, we hope you enjoy our show. All right. So with the first episode here, uh, baseball season is on the horizon. So we decided to start with a movie that both uh, really resonated with us from our childhoods, and that is The Angels in the Outfield, a movie with a great cast, Danny Glover, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Matthew McConaughey, Adrian Brody, Tony Danza, and Christopher Lloyd, among others. So, Henry, I, I know you uh, said that this movie really carried a lot of weight with you when you were growing up, so why don't you just delve into that, like why this movie was so impactful for you as a big baseball fan and as a kid. Well, Charlie, uh, I actually currently still have the VHS of this movie. Oh, um, yes. Um, it's somewhere deep in the uh, archives of my parents' house. Um, w- when I saw what we wanted to talk about, the first movie we wanted to target, first one that popped out on the list that um, you know you, you collaborate, we collaborated on is Angels in the Outfield. Um, why it's important to me is – um, being a baseball player growing up since I was I started t-ball when I was four or five years old played baseball in, uh, in college until I was 21 um, this movie really meant a lot with my youth and in my youth and it meant so much because um, you know you had younger children um, having such a Im- great impact on adults and I thought oh wow this also includes baseball um, so I just you know it just sticks with me this uh, this faith we had in the game growing up, and we continue to have it as we got older, but this like um, very loyal faith we had um, it really, really was important to me when I was young. And um, talking about it now, um, it's just it really resonates and it brings back sort of a nostalgic feeling, uh, a romantic feeling for the game um, for when we were just innocent kids. Yeah, that's a great point, Henry. And you know, I, I I'm glad that you brought up the terms like some keywords there, romantic, faith, um, you know, nostalgia in relation to baseball. Because now I, I want to see if you agree with this, but in my mind, uh, baseball, I think, is the sport that most encompasses those types of things. Like baseball, there's just something about baseball where, you know, it's like, look, uh, what's it? Brad Pitt as Billy Bean in Moneyball. He's yeah. basically, he says to Jonah Hill, he's like, you know, how can you not be romantic about baseball? It wouldn't. Uh, in reference to one of the prospects that they're scouting just because, you know, it was like an underdog story similar to this one. And nostalgia, definitely huge in baseball. It's always like, you know, in movies, you got like the father-son, you know, playing catch. And it's like, you know, kind of – or that's like – it seems like that's usually the first sport that, that a lot of uh, dads, you know, kind of really – cherish and and teaching their sons or daughters you know how to throw and catch so that's a huge one that definitely will resonate for a lot of people and then faith in particular to this movie it definitely plays a big role in this movie but you know whether religious whether you're religious or not i think everyone has some sort of spiritual 
connection to something, whether it's sports or whether, you know, it's, um, you know, like film or really everyone has like a spiritual connect or travel, you know, I feel like we all have, um, those types of, uh, connections in our lives. And, uh, this movie really blends that in for, uh, obvious reasons. You know, you have angels as a, uh, really prominent character in this story. And, you know, when we were talking off, uh, offline the other day, I remember you were bringing up some great points about some, uh, you know, kind of analogies that this movie, uh, ties into really that, or delves into that we might not have picked up on at a really young age, but ones that, that, you know, like rewatching it as we're older, it's like, wow, that's pretty profound stuff. So let's, uh, let's get into a couple of those. Yeah, for sure. And I just want, you know, uh, angels in the outfield, faith is so important, whether, uh, secular or non-secular, whether you, whether you, uh, committed to a faith, to a religion. Um, and, but, you know, I'm sure Charlie, you growing up as a baseball fan, uh, not, so, I don't know, for me, not so much as a player, but as a baseball fan, I prayed like when my team, the Boston Red Sox, my team, I prayed for them. You know, I prayed in the same way that, uh, Roger and JP prayed, um, and, and had faith in the angels. Um, I really think that's something that relates to us because, um, even, you know, even in, a, in the midst of a conference game in high school, like I'm like on the bench, like saying like, let's go guys. But at the same time, like, come on, something bigger than myself, some supernatural being, please help my team win. Um, and I think that really uh, starts us off where we want to um, about these characters, about um, this great cast of actors um, and why this movie is so important and why it still resonates with us, um, you know, in our, in our 20s. In the same way, we look at it differently, but in the same way we were when we were seven or eight when this movie came out. I mean, this movie came out in 94. I was a one-year-old at the time, but when I was 1999, 2000, my mom said, Henry, I think you'd like this movie, and you know, it still sticks with me, and I'm sure it, for you it also sticks with you. Let's just jump into what we want to talk about. Now, where do you want to get started, Charlie? Why don't we start off with some of the different underdog stories in this movie, because they're there's the overall overarching underdog story of the team, but there's also kind of several mini little underdog stories tucked into this movie. So why don't we just talk about some of those being that, you know, Joker Mag is the home of the underdog. I mean, is, is, is Knox or Roger? Who, who is the top underdog in this movie? Who is, who is the quintessential underdog i mean i guess you can say both of them are one's a kid one's an adult there's that parallel there's the difference in age but which one do you feel is like you really felt when you watch this movie again recently like what do you feel yeah i mean i i think as a kid like the obvious answer i would say i was like oh yeah definitely roger you know it's a main character and plus as a kid uh well you know i couldn't I couldn't relate to really all the, um, you know, his uh, real life situation and his, uh, you know, specific predicaments. But, uh, yeah, you know, I always was inclined to probably lean towards him. But rewatching, I think it's it's probably a big case to be made for George Knox. I mean, he's, this is a guy, a manager who pretty much has, you know, he's like on the hot seat. He's like probably right on the verge of getting fired 
like when the, right before the angels make this miraculous run to the pennant and really i mean i think the like the media's written him off the the owner is you know i think pretty much has written him off and you know, the fans are all against him like everyone's turning him his players don't like him but and he's just a you know really a miserable guy when we first are introduced to him right. in the movie yeah. he's like like and we can um you know definitely delve into that more as we go along here but really like long story short he is like he's just like a bitter guy that his career was tragically cut short and now he's just a manager that doesn't really seem like he wants to be in that position like he's you know just there it's like oh it's just a paycheck pretty much it seems like he's just uh you know it's a way to stay in baseball but he doesn't really have a connection or a bond with these players and definitely doesn't care about any of the fans until he meets JP and Rogers so there is a definitely a case to be made for both of them. Um, you know, Roger definitely as the protagonist and really as a kid who, and you made a couple great points about this in our earlier discussion that I'll uh, kick over to you here in a second is, um, you know, like we see Roger is like, he's, it's a really sad story because it's just, he's, you know, his dad pretty much just gives up gives up on him it's just his dad is like yeah i know i can't raise i can't raise this kid i'm not really interested in raising this kid or i'm not fit to raise him whatever the case may be he really just kind of he just walks out on him and you know maggie has a couple great lines when she's talking with manager uh, knox about you know about uh roger really what a you know grounded kid he is so yeah uh why don't you uh, tell us more about that. You made some great points about that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, foster care is an unfortunate situation for any uh, children. Um, I think a family nucleus is important. Um, you know, for the betterment and the development of of children and and growing up into adults. And you know, you really feel for them. And so when you see this movie, you see JP, you see Roger, but specifically Roger. Um, you know, if foster care in some respects brings kids into reality. Um, it's sort of a, 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 a subtle attribute, but it's important. Um, so when Roger sees angels, Maggie says in response to Knox saying like, you know, does this kid like see things that normally aren't there? And she flat out says, no, um, you know, he's honest, uh, he's true to himself and he's grounded as, as you mentioned, and he's actually seeing these things. He's not fabricating them. Um, you know, you know, unfortunately sometimes kids in foster care become hard and become bitter um, but he really kept an open mind and, um, and, you know, it all started, you know, he was talking to, uh, one of the other, uh, uh, foster children in the house, uh, with him and JP and talking about how, like, really hope to get out of there, hope to have a family praise, you know, I, I hope to have a family and it all stems from his father saying, you know, maybe we'll become a family when the angels win the pennant. And so, there we go. There it starts. He prays. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Al, the angel who we'll talk about later, hears him. And that's really how the movie all starts. But in the end, Roger does not, does not lie about things. He's not, he's not being delusional. He sees things. And he sees things because foster care really brings kids into reality. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Henry. And that's where, yeah, Roger and... JP, both of them, more so Roger because he's 
older, but right, they, like they really like Roger as you know, we can talk about really holds his own. Like when he's talking with adults, like it's not like, you know, probably a typical kid, his age, like Roger, it's one of those things where as an adult, like, you know, you don't need to really talk down to him or like kind of you or kind of beat around the bush. It's like, you know, just kind of, you can just talk straight to him. He's because he's really, unfortunately for him or unfortunately, but I guess in a, in a way you could say, you know, it, it's, it has been a positive for him. Like he's had, he had no choice but to grow up at a really young age. So he is like, I mean, pretty much he kind of acts like an adult, even though he's this still really young kid. And it's, uh, so yeah, but it's a, you know, heartwarming story for he and JP. Cause at the end, uh, George Knox adopts the two of them. And that's, uh, you know, that's one of those things rewatching where it, it's, uh, it really does still tug at the heartstrings. It's like, it's, you know, it's, if you're not really, if you're not getting like some goosebumps or kind of chills at the end of the movie, when they're like, the three of them are hugging, it's like, all right, it's, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, that might be a you problem, but, uh, but yeah, because the, um, it's really heartwarming stuff, but so yeah, Roger and Knox each have a great underdog stories. Um, but there are a couple other characters, like uh, you know the pitcher Mel Clark. Uh, let's talk about him for a little bit. Yeah, I just want to you know about Mel Clark. Like we love Tony Danza as as Mel, um, this sort of washed up ace um, from Knox's time in Cincinnati. And you know you don't know much about him. He seems sort of a as you, as we talked about earlier. Um, JP says, um, "Were you Mel Clark?" And he's like, "Yeah, I was." And he had such a great identity, but you know, the <laughs> the one thing I want to say about this movie, I, I mean, I, I love it, but um, you know, Knox calling him out 15 minutes before the game, saying you're going to start, and you throw, <laughs> a, you throw a complete game, and then the final game, you throw. You mentioned this uh, when we talked earlier. He was at 156 pitches. I mean, that's the one part as a baseball player, like. That doesn't happen. Maybe in the 1900s when you had Walter Johnson, those types of guys who throw however much, throw every other day, 100-plus pitches. But, um, yeah, I think Mel, going back to our our, our, you know, our premise about this movie is Mel Clark is an underdog. And it's, you know, as a kid, I'm sure you felt the same way. You didn't see, like, the fact, like, the guy was a chain smoker. The guy had lung cancer probably, didn't have much time left. And we felt very sad um, as kids because we loved him. But as an adult watching this again, you see that you know, you know, he really didn't take care of himself. But he was a, a hell of a pitcher, and um, and you know, and and Knox, and especially these kids. These, I mean, we Roger goes over to uh, calls Knox over. He does the the angel waving with his arms, uh, which is the signal to that there's an angel there, and he sees Mel Clark's shoulders being massaged by an angel which is not the only occurrence of that. And Roger says, you got to start him. And so he goes over, you know, Knox and Knox and Mel do not have a great relationship at this point um, after their sort of bitter departure from Cincinnati. But he says, you're starting today. And that revitalized his career. That revitalized at least that year. And, um, and I just think that's a, a special moment and a turning point for both Knox and uh, Mel. So, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, very well said Henry. And, it's like, it, for all the talk you could say, 
rightfully, this movie, people could be like, oh, it's overly sentimental or it's unrealistic. I'll grant you, some of the baseball scenes are definitely super unrealistic. Like, you know, the pitch count, there's no way. (laughs) Even though this movie's 20 or 25 years old, uh, even, even back then when the movie was made, that's... The managers weren't really letting stars throw that many pitches. Now it's unheard of. But that's probably not even as realistic as the one where they went on a walk-off where the ball is, like, bouncing all over the place and, like, guys on – I think it's Oakland are, like, bu- running and bumping into each other. So that that's probably the most unrealistic scene. But anyway, but I think the way they handle Mel Clark as a character, I mean, that's super realistic. Like, they don't – it's not like a fairy tale where it's like, oh, and it's happily ever after, like – Yes, like Mel Clark definitely has a happy ending as a baseball player, but you know Al is like, and you know, and they handle well where Al's like, yeah, don't worry, he's going to be one of us. You're going to take great care of him, but it still does deal with like you know, kind of the whole, for lack of a better phrase, circle of life. It's like, yeah, right, you know, here's right. what ha- this guy smoked his whole life and was pop and popped pills, and yeah, he's uh, you know, he's this is kind of running towards the end for him. But yeah, so I mean, that's I, I, pretty sad. I, I, but to our viewers, we we love this movie. It's just as baseball player, former baseball players, uh, we have a uh, we we recognize the uh, sort of fabrication of some of these baseball themes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's that it's great because it does tie into a lot of just overall themes, specifically to baseball, as far as like you know guys picking each other up, like you know how the angels, like the angels very uh literally pick up the team and like especially mcconaughey out in center field they lift him up and like carry him (laughs) carry him about a hundred feet to catch it to track down a fly ball but really it's all like that theme you see that across this movie right like where it's like guys are always picking each other up like you know how roger roger picks up Knox in the beginning like you know lifts Knox up like lifts him really out of a dark place and then Knox comes right back later on in the movie where, you know, that memorable scene where they're sitting on the front porch, JP is like, looks at the moon. He's like, look, it's God's thumbnail. And then Roger is like, you know, there's no God, JP. It's just the moon. And Knox is like, look, legitimately, like he's like upset by this. He's like, how how can you say that? Like you, like the the boy that sees angels, like how, how are you saying there's no God because, but it was just like right after Roger had been abandoned like permanently by his father. So he was like, obviously, in a he was like in a really bad place, but then Knox comes back and does the same thing for Roger that Roger did for him. Knox picks him up. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it, there's a theme in the, in the movie about picking each other up. The kids picked up Knox initially. They brought him out, <laughs> brought him from rock bottom, basically from, yeah. uh, from a uh, state in his career um, and then we have the scene where Roger has uh, his forfeit over to be a war of the state um, by his listless and um, you know heartless dad. And Knox picks him up. He says, "You, you, you, you believed in me. You believed in the angels. You believe in you believed you saw angels, and that helped us. That helped me um, for Knox. And you know, you made a difference in my life. And now it's my turn to make a difference in yours. I don't just see you. I think." Um, at, at first, Knox Usor did use these kids as props, but when he saw truly that these kids believe and, and how a residual effect it had on his team, he's like, I'm believing. You know, believing is not 
seeing is not always believing. It's it's um, believing in others, believing in yourself that you can do something. Um, and you don't need supernatural beings. You only see supernatural beings like angels to do it. You just all need to believe. Um, and, and you only need one person, Roger, to see angels for everyone else to believe. And, you, you know, I think a part of the movie we – not anyone watching the movie – you see how in the beginning of the movie, how few people are in the stands, how it's how everyone is so downtrodden, discouraged, and then the pennant scene against the White Sox. You know, at the end of the movie, the whole place is sold out. You see, as the movie goes on, more and more people are showing up because they believe. No one else is seeing these, uh, you know, seeing these angels except for Roger. But everyone believes, um, and you know. Um, I'll I'll save I'll save my next part for a little bit later. But um, there's another movie reference um, that I'd like to uh, point out that really ties into the overall theme of believing in this movie. Yeah, and it, along with what you're saying, Henry, is that it's um a cup like the it, the movie is just full of this theme. It just keeps going back to that theme, and that's why it's such a good baseball movie because it's a, uh, you know, and in the very literal, like, or very literal connection to baseball is like in that last game, like there's no angels even helping out during the last game. And we can go in a little deeper on that, but yeah, but it's like, you know, like in a literal sense, it's like Mel Clark is like struggling. Like he, his, the stuff is clearly gone around yeah, like the seventh yeah. or eighth inning, but they're turning double plays for him and, McConaughey again, even without the Angels, is like tracking down these deep drives in in the gap and making some great plays. Shorts the shortstops like you know doing belly a belly flop into shallow center, catching a pop fly. So in a ba- very baseball sense, they pick him up and he you know it's like in baseball. I'm sure we've all been parts of teams where it's like you know the fielders saying to the pitcher, it's like. You know, yeah, you carried us for the first six. You know, I, I, you see, you're getting tired. It's like let us carry you now, and it's like also same thing as like run support for your mm-hmm. pitcher, all that type of stuff in baseball, and uh, and also the team really how they I mentioned at the beginning of the movie, it's like they've pretty much they're out on Knox as the manager, but then when Knox at the press conference, he was, you know, basically told by the owner renounce this notion of angels or you're fired and and Knox and just can't he's gonna do it but he can't bring himself to do it when Maggie Roger and JP show up and then you know his team like first off it's Mel Clark and then the rest of the team stands up it's like the you know uh you know the, the uh typical moment in a movie where it's like, you know, it's like Dead Poet Society, like, oh, captain, my captain, that type of thing. You know, they're standing, they're all standing up. They're like, no, nope, you know, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll only play for George Knox. And, and, you know, even though it's been used in many other movies, it's, it's always an effective scene and it's great in this movie. You know, the press conference is so important. It really is the turning point because, you know, Knox could have caved, but um, everyone really had faith in him and everyone said I won't play for anyone else except for Knox. And as Mel Clark, who was in a very adversarial or very bitter relationship with Knox, he saw – he Knox believed in Mel without even knowing it. 
he he had faith in Roger saying there's an angel there, um, but it wasn't not blind faith is not the right word. But he believed in him. He revitalized his season and however long his career would end up being. Um, he said, you know, I won't play for anyone else. Um, and I think that's so important, um, you know, that we can repair fractured relationships. And, you know, I wish this movie was like three hours and we really had like the full season <laughs> and everything because that would be so much more helpful. They, I mean, they, they come together uh, so well, but it's so quick. Um, and and maybe that's the magic of the angels. Maybe that's the, the, you know, so I think where we want to really focus on, um, which is so important, is the wild card. No, I'm sorry, the... Uh, the race for the pennant against the White Sox, the final series to win the pennant. Al, Christopher Lloyd, who Christopher Lloyd does just a great job. I mean, he, he's great. And I mean, Amazing. that's where I remember him. I mean, he says, we, we don't, we don't partake in championships. This is all on you guys. And so what I wanted to bring up was, um, in space jam, one of my favorite movies and a movie that only got believe 50%, maybe under 50. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think 38. 38. Oh my God. So Daffy Duck, halftime, they're getting crushed by the Monstars. He gets water, shakes it up, it puts special stuff on there, and everyone drinks it. And he's like, everyone drink this. And Michael Jordan says, quite fittingly, that it's always in you. That 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 power, that, that resilience is always in you, just like it is for these angels. You don't need this supernatural help. You have had it in you all along. And it's the faith in each other. It's the faith in yourself, um, not necessarily in the faith in something supernatural and something that can uh, manipulate, artificially manipulate, um, you know, your performance. It's all inside of you. It's it's internal strength. It's fortitude. It's perseverance. It's resilience. Um, and I think that really culminates in the end of that 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 pennant race, that final game where I mean, Mel throws five thousand pitches. Um, <laughs> he looks like he's lost it, but um, his teammates, as you said, pick him up. You know, they make the double plays. Matthew McConaughey, uh, uh, I just want to say, that is the greatest outfield performance or player performance in any baseball movie I've ever seen in um, the past five years. Although we we rewatched we this, his plays in the outfield were just stellar. <laughs> uh, I just, as a baseball player, like, I love that. Like, Yeah, and it's a, you know, I think that's such a great analogy. It's like, the uh, the space jam scene where it is the same type of thing it's like uh the belief that they had this little extra boost like the belief that they uh, this mike secret stuff and they're like you know it's like they're th- throwing the inhibitions to win it's like the placebo effect right same type yes, of thing where yeah, yeah. Where the, the this team they think they're they're like oh and that final game they don't know the angels aren't there like and at the end it's like milk when uh when uh george knox is out visiting the mound and Mel Clark is there, and Roger comes up and he starts flapping, and then the whole stadium starts flapping the wings. Or yeah, Dude, Mel Clark. Clark's like he's like kid, he's like kid sees an angel, and Knox is like yeah, he's like. But then afterwards, <laughs> afterwards it's like I think Knox tells him he's like yeah, no, that was all you. He's like you did that yourself, and it was like, but it's just like the the guys believing that they had angels helping them out. They were like, you know, that they're playing like all stars, like. Because they just had the the confidence was sky high. They're like, oh well, we got the, we got this team of angels, you know, moving us around out there. It's like, nope, that's all you. But it is like that self belief and um, you know faith in yourself as 
we were talking about, and it's so crucial to the success of an athlete. And in addition to the players believing in themselves, Henry, let's talk a little bit about how, like, uh, you know, belief in others. Like, I think Roger, like, Knox, that's the main lesson he learns from, from Roger is that because Knox was always, you know, he's and he, the one he pays forward back to Roger later on in the movie, he's like, he says, you know, you can't go through life thinking one day everyone's going to let you down. Otherwise, you'll end up like me. So uh, that's why they, like, Roger and JP were so instrumental to Knox really overcoming that emotional hurdle. And, um, you know, and then in turn, he helps them uh, through the rough times that they encounter. That's definitely uh, such an important point. And, um, you know, as someone who goes uh, under the radar in this movie, which connects to what you're talking about, is Maggie. Maggie is the steady force. She said, a quote uh, she at some point in the movie really struck me was, amazing, amazing things happen in life that cannot be explained. But more to the point is, uh, sort of, how do you feel that, you know, you said, you know, Knox, you showed, Roger showed to Knox, that you know you can't always go through life um, thinking people are going to disappoint you because then you turn out like me. How much do you think Maggie helped both of them, all JP, Roger, and Knox? You know, to not have that feeling, to not have the feeling of you know um, always looking for disappointment, for failure, for being forgotten. Um, she's such a she is such a critical role that like is so understated. Oh yeah, she kind of flies under the radar, I would say, but she's like a stealth MVP in this movie. She yeah. is like like cuz that's why I think again when we talk about like Roger basically he is like an adult. It's like I think with you know, it's I think a lot of that is because Maggie like Maggie never like Maggie never treated Roger like a kid like even though he had such a rough situation like she never pitied him because that's the thing is like I feel like pity implies like oh it's like you know feeling bad it's like no she's like she's like she empath she obviously empathizes with roger's situation and that's why she's a uh, i believe a foster parent but she doesn't pity him it's like she treats him like a peer you know she just she, yeah. never, she doesn't talk down to him or like baby him she you know really make uh, you know she's stays on top of these kids and makes uh you know kind of like basically like she was their actual mother and uh and yeah she is such an integral part for them and then at the press conference where she's like you said you brought out that great quote where she's like you know sometimes things happen that can't really be explained she's like and it's a uh, a good thing with life it's like you know there's like whether it's like serendipity or whatever you want to term it it's um there's just those moments in life where uh we uh you know get those types of moments or uh experiences and um yeah, it's uh, it's it really is a. She's a very strong character in this movie, and um, another under the radar character that's also a, a good underdog story is uh, you know, Ranch Wilder's partner or understudy, whatever you want to call it, uh, Wally. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you yeah. talk about that? You made a great point about you know, kind of Wally's underdog journey and success story by the end of this movie. Yeah. So first of all, there is no one I hate in this movie, uh, except for except Rand for Ranch. Wally. He, yeah. he is a jerk. He is a first class jerk. 
who screwed up actually Knox's career, yeah. uh, sliding to him, um, who has this vendetta against Knox. But you know, <laughs> it, you know we focus on this uh, this idea of uh, this this phrase that Ranch like to say a lot to Wally. Wally is clearly an intelligent, um, very precocious uh, potential um, you know reporter. Um, and radio radio voice for a major league baseball team, and Ranch always says to him, "There's this stupid switch that can switch in between each announcer, and every time Wally switches it to say something uh, very articulate, very insightful, Ranch switches back and says less is more." And what impresses me is is Wally's maturity. Wally looks like at that point he's probably in his mid to late twenties. Ranch is forties, fifties, whatever. And he's just so mature. He, you know, he deals with his baloney, his BS, Ranch's BS, his arrogance, um, his condescending view towards Wally. But you know, justice prevails in the end. Um, I mean, we don't talk enough about Hank Murphy, who's the Angels' owner, uh, played by Ben Johnson. Um, he just gets sick and tired of hearing Ranch. He's like, you know, you're the last bad piece of you know of this organization that needs to go. And see you later. And Wally flips on the switch and says, you know, Ranch, less is more. Such a good underdog story. Bides his time. Clearly talented. You know, not given a chance. Passed over for years probably by the stupid Ranch Wilder. But he gets his time. He gets his moment when the Angels win the pennant. Finally, he has a voice. And he's not he's not interfered by, by Ranch Wilder, which is such a southern or – Texas name that like breeds of I'm not want to offend anyone from Texas but it just sounds like a, a uh, an old school name and guy who is very traditional and sorry so yeah, like my you're, surprised, you're surprised he's not wearing like a, a ten gallon hat and like a giant belt buckle and like <laughs> got like spurs on he's wearing like boots with spurs and you know all that. <laughs> uh. Yeah, but Wally's great, um, and and we also never really hear the story of the the female woman, uh, the female who was um, you know helping and being the stats person. I mean, she I'm I'm sure she did great work and was you know didn't get any appreciation in the movie, but uh, I feel like she and Wally were a team, and they both deserve recognition. And uh, once Ranch is fired, you know, a chance to really have control of that, you know, that radio and play-by-play uh, team. Because she, I mean, she, as watching this movie again, it's like she's running around, you know, looking for stats as Ranch is complaining that he doesn't have something in his hand. And they don't say, neither of them say, and they don't say anything complaining, whining way. They bide their time and then justice prevails. Yes, that it does. And it's a great, you know, moment for the people behind the scenes there that finally – get vindicated and Wally we assume it seems like he's gets that promotion and he takes over as the voice of the angels and he's definitely not nearly the cynic or you know the jerk that ranch is so it's good to see a man like that you know move into uh, move into that type of position and you know and uh, you know theoretically then it's like hopefully I guess you could expand upon it. it's like the lady that's in the background maybe she is like the uh maybe they do like the co co-host for games like the play-by-play one of them's the she'd be know, the jessica mendoza yeah ex- exactly like the, um, two-person booth there yeah right 
So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really true. And that, and that story, like as a, as a kid, I'm like, man, that ranch guy's a jerk. Like he's not very nice to this other guy. And then that being 25 years old now, it's like, you know, ranch is that, um, uh, ego mongered person who fears losing his job by putting down anyone in his path. And, uh, Wally is this nice, um, even tempered guy who very, very, uh, knowledgeable about baseball. And, you know, he's, um, he, he's like almost like a young Tim Kirchin to me. Um, he, he seems to have really good points that he makes when he has the chance in the movie to make even say a, a one sentence remark. Um, he's really got it down. So, yeah, absolutely. So with all the themes and, you know, the, Actors caught at one point in their career, like you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt, obviously rose to stardom. McConaughey, this was definitely the pre-McConaissance. This was uh, before he became a big deal. Tony Danza, this was probably uh, Tony Danza. I think was probably a known commodity by this point. Same for yeah. I think Danny Glover definitely had had you know a um, some cachet in the industry at this point. Ditto for and Christopher Lloyd. This was probably. Uh, he was obviously uh, well known at this point, but you know, uh, payday. The nineties was a payday with Back yeah. to the Future in this movie. Yeah, and it's a, you know definitely kind of a. I mean, I, I can't really imagine anyone else playing that Christopher Lloyd role, like playing Al. I can't. I'm trying to think of someone that might fill those shoes. Like, I think there's a universe in which like maybe Robin Williams pulls it off, but I think Jim, Christopher Jim Lloyd, Harry. I think, is a little uh, Jim. K- that that's a pretty good one actually. That's, but it, but it's pro. Uh, I think Jim Carrey is a great one. I think, but I think it's probably good to have someone that's a little older, like an Al, yeah. like someone like because he can you know have the kind of experience and like that extra gravitas and like you know as a guy who's been been around the block a few times and you know this isn't his first rodeo so to speak. Now now folks we uh, we had a. Uh, pre-podcast discussion last night and we talked for about an hour and we didn't we didn't know we were just talking about this movie for an hour talking about different baseball um, sort of analogies different uh, cinematic analogies and comparisons Um, if you can talk about a movie for an hour without interruption uh, with such enthusiasm you know this movie deserves more than its rating I know I am you know, Charlie has much more experience. Um, if you get a chance to read his uh, rom-com series on Joker Mag, um, but this movie's got to be more than in the '30s. I'm sorry, like I love to watch this movie every couple of months if I'm feeling like watching a baseball movie. Um, so I just want to say, you know, you know, we've gone through the movie, uh, we've gone through the characters. Um, I hope you all have a chance to uh, give a chance to. Uh, Charlie uh, to finally work in his final thoughts, um, but really great movie. Uh, definitely recommend watching it again if if you're a baseball fan or a former baseball player. Um, you know, so many of these characters um, really resonate with me um, and with the romantic feeling of baseball. Um, this is America's pastime, and you know, um, it, it hurts me to say that baseball is in decline. Um, you know, at the NFL. Uh, basketball and soccer are really taking the one, two, three, and baseball sort of falling um, behind. But this movie will remind you 
that baseball's still there. Baseball's lively. Base, people have faith in baseball. Um, and I love watching this movie. I hope you all have a chance to watch it too. Yeah, that's really well said, Henry. I don't have too much to add to close it up. I think maybe what the MLB needs is uh, an appearance of angels. Maybe that'll help things out. Maybe we need uh, – or maybe if the angels do win the pennant, have Mike Trout <laughs> playing a prominent role. We need, we need the faces of the sport to uh, be on full display late in October and get uh, – you know, if Mike Trout's always – you know, missing the playoffs, not again. Um, in no way is it his fault. I, it's that team is kind of a bit of a disaster. But you know, maybe maybe they uh, you know right the ship, new manager, maybe a fresh outlook on things. Maybe they hire um, you know, maybe they hire a George Knox type manager, and maybe they have a couple super fans like Roger and JP, and maybe that's the answer for the MLB. Maybe we just need the uh, the now Los Angeles Angels to um, win the pennant and uh, be America's underdog story, and that'll vault the sport back to stardom. But, yeah, as far as this podcast, um, we hope you enjoyed this first episode. Um, yeah, like we said, we're going to be doing movies that are currently rated under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, and maybe occasionally we'll dip into the uh, a movie that's in the 50s, and, you know, kind of one that's uh, still doesn't quite get its due, even though it's a little overqualified for our title. But that being said, uh, yeah, we hope you got a kick out of this first episode and maybe give this movie another watch. And, yeah, we'll uh, join us next time. Um, we'll see what the next movie will be. Maybe it'll be another sports movie. Maybe it won't, but I have to... Tune in and find out. But till next time, thank you for tuning in. And Henry, uh, it was great talking to you. And you know, I had a really Charlie. fun time talking about this movie. Yeah. Hey, you got an hour and a half in your day. Watch Angels in the Outfield. You will not regret it.